Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello out there, everybody, and uh, welcome to another episode of No Script, No Problem. Hope you're staying safe out there. This is yet another coronavirus version of the show. We are here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? No Script, No Problem is the show that takes you behind the curtain of unscripted television like never before. With insight from some of the best in the business of reality television, documentary series, competition shows, social experiment, game shows, and much more. From Big Brother to Are You the One, to Love is Blind, to Live PD, if it's unscripted, We'll get into it. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I'm a 15-year veteran producer of unscripted television. The shows like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, BattleBots, Outdaughtered, The Rachel Zoe Project, and Pros vs. Joes among my credits. Each week, I talk to the talented people who have made unscripted TV documentaries, true crime, and game shows not just something you watch or consume, but a cultural phenomenon. Now, if you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe and rate the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. All right, let's get started. Today, my guests are the co-presidents of Lighthearted Entertainment, which has produced great shows like Are You the One on MTV, Ready to Love on OWN, Dating Naked for VH1 Relationship on Facebook Watch, Labor Games for TLC 72 Hours, on TNT, the moment of truth on Fox. Please welcome Jeff Spangler and Rob LaPlante. Guys, thanks a lot. Of course, thanks for having us, Steve. Thank Appreciate you very it. much. So guys, can't, uh, can't start without talking about uh, COVID-19. How are you both holding up? Uh, it's, uh, it's a whole new world, you know? It's, it's uh, a new way of, of doing business, but uh, you know, we're getting through it. And, and you know, look, obviously, production that is on a bit of a pause but there's plenty of other things to do like casting post-production and luckily we're we're into it with that kind of stuff so the train keeps moving Absolutely. Uh, i'm falling apart and, uh, <laughs> and, and i don't know what day it is and uh it's uh, it's like groundhog day for me i uh, I, I have a, a new routine and it is quite boring <laughs> I, I agree in that you've got to figure out a routine because the days when I don't have something planned, like exactly what's planned, that's when I fall apart. I'm Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. I'm curious for you guys, um, in terms of the, on the development side, in terms of what you're pitching, has everything changed in dealing with the networks now? Are they asking for quote unquote quarantine content? I really think it's about speed. Um, I think at first, you know, out, out the gate, first week uh, in quarantine, everyone was like, what's our, what's our COVID uh, love show, you know? And, and quite honestly, I think everyone came to their senses and realized that watching people being by themselves is just not very interesting content. So really, it, I think what we've, we've come to in our conversations with buyers is we're looking for what is it that we can do quickly once the air clears, literally. And so I think that is where we've shifted our focus. Our focus is what can we get up on its feet quickly? What's also, you know, what is the remedy for creatively for the feeling that we're all having, you know? Yeah. Right now, everyone's feeling alone and scared and um, un there's this uncertainty. And I think what 
you know, entertainment does so well is gives us reprieve from that, those kinds of feelings. So that's definitely something we've been focusing on and, um, you know, kind of advancing the ball in our creative discussions with the buyers. And then going off that uncertainty, I'm a freelancer and obviously, you know, we all, all three of us know so many of people in the freelance world. There is a lot of uncertainty. What are you guys doing when you talk to your employees as well as the people, the showrunners and the people who regularly do work for you? What are you telling everybody? I think that the answer to that question is patience. You know, it's 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 about doing what you can do under these circumstances, like casting is a perfect example. We've been able to continue casting. People are surprisingly available for Skypes right now because they've got not a lot else going on. And so, you know, it's we're, we're locating the areas where we can advance and then just like Jeff just said, and then trying as our best to be poised to move forward once it's over. For the freelance world, which is, you know, Jeff and I were both a part of for a significant part of our careers, it's a difficult period of time because with uncertainty, lack of work, that's a wicked combination. But I think, you know, both of us are confident that this thing is going to have an end and everyone's just got to, you know, you know, use their savings a bit, brace for it collect unemployment, use the federal assistance that's available and get to the other side. Because I truly believe that once we get to the other side of this, there is going to be a huge burst of production because this lost time is going to have to be made up for. Agreed. And, um, you know, a lot of times unscripted is the the quick solution at the end of whether it was the, the writer's strike or the recession, something like that. Do you feel like maybe pe- buyers will be looking for the quick reality show, be it a clip show or a dating show or something right out the right out of the gate once we do get out of this? I mean, so much so that we're already hearing it. Right. Um, you know, we've been having conversations with CAA and their constant, you know, uh, touch with all the buyers. And I think the buyers realize that we are, um, the, you know, we're normally the redheaded stepchild, but we also sometimes are the saviors. And I think what, it, what I mean by that is that we are, we tend to be nimble and inexpensive and quick. And I think that that can help solve problems for, for buyers that maybe lean heavily on their scripted slate and realize that they're not going to be able to get up and running as quickly as an unscripted project might be able to do. So we end up becoming the fill, you know, we become that stopgap. And I think that uh, buyers are already seeing that and realizing that. And um, so, I, I mean, I think there might be a bit of a golden age for the unscripted space for a time as we um, try to all heal, the industry tries to heal this from this thing. Let's turn to happier things and talk a little bit about you guys. Jeff and I, we actually met on the moment of truth, which was- yes, uh, did. Yeah, I know, which was, I mean, I, some people don't remember how good of a show it was, um, <laughs> but it, it was awesome. Um, talk a little bit about Jeff, just a uh, moment of truth and kind of how big of a, a, of an experience that was for you. And I can kind of chime in as well about how cool that was for me. Sure. The moment of truth was my first big show on the development side. Um, you know, I had done, uh, I had been on the freelance side and I had just um, came on uh, with Howard Schultz and, and lighthearted and um I was there from the beginning. I remember having these conversations in our development meetings and then working on the sizzle reel. And then we, we actually sold a pilot to NBC. They passed on it. We went immediately to uh, Mike Darnell and he was like, I can't believe they passed on this. And, and, and we, and we were off for the races and it was so fun to see something, you know, 
begin with just an idea and then become this cultural phenomenon and become this thing that people talked about and not just talked about in the United States, but talked about all over the world. I mean, it, it spread like wildfire, you know, over 60 countries. Um, and, and I was also lucky enough to be able to travel internationally and help set up a lot of those productions. And um, it was just, it was such a human thing like you know it was it was this thing that everyone globbed onto they totally got it and and it was also during a time where i think people were like really yearning for something that kind of cut through the red tape of truth you know and it was like there it's like there are black and white you know uh truths out there and so this was a game that was like hey all you have to do is tell the truth and you're gonna win a lot of money but sometimes telling the truth is tough it was a tremendous experience it was awesome it was. And for some people who may not remember, the Moment of Truth was a lie detector based game show uh, on Fox and it got massive ratings. For me, it was the it's really the only big stage game show that I ever did. And I had only been in L.A. for a couple of years and it was a really well produced, well executed show. And, yeah, I agree with you. Like it hit at just the right time. And, and yeah, the ratings were sky high and it was it was a lot of fun. It was a, it was a great show. Uh, and so, so Rob, uh, you started off uh, as as freelance too, producing on yes, The Apprentice. Uh, so I got to ask, when you see, <clears throat> yeah, I know you get asked a million times, but you, you see that you see POTUS uh, every day now. Um, what's is it? Is it crazy to think that back you know, when you were producing on Apprentice, that Trump would be? Uh, president of the United States? Absolutely crazy. In fact, if you had said that to me back then, I probably would have laughed out loud at the concept of him being president of the United States. Uh, but here we are, and it's, it's, it's truer than it can possibly be. Uh, you know, that was an incredible experience to, to be a part of that show from the very beginning, you know, season one. And um, I actually uh, was the head of casting for the show and I produced on the series uh, and, and it was, you know, it's a once in a lifetime experience. And it, I mean, I had, I'd worked in reality TV for years before that, uh, primarily on the real world. I worked at Buna Murray, uh, which was definitely a cultural phenomenon show, but, uh, but to, to be on a show that, you know, as Donald Trump will very often remind you somewhat accurately and somewhat inaccurately at one time was the number one show on television was an amazing thing to, to do. Uh, at the, at, you know, towards the more beginning of my career. And, uh, you know, there's just so many stories from that show. And then uh, obviously as time passes and the ridiculousness of him being now president of the United States, it just, the stories get more interesting as we go. But uh, yeah, I, I, I never would have thought in a million years that we'd be sitting where we are right now. Is there anything you look back on and go, oh man, I should have known. I should have known. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I work in the entertainment industry, and uh, I think that we have no shortage of egos within it. And yes. I can tell you in over 20 years now of working in the in television industry, I've never met an ego that large by a long shot. You know, like he was uh, just, you know, and, and I, but I only, I'm saying that because I also think fortunately or unfortunately to however you want to look at it, it's also part of the necessity of being president of the United States. I don't think that you can ascend to that role without, you know, constantly wanting to more power, more uh, influence, all those things. And obviously that is a tool and a weapon that can be used for good or in some cases for bad. But, you know, I think that he is the type of person that's kind of what I learned is that that's what it takes. It's like, 
you got to have that that unending drive. I mean, at a certain point, if I had millions and millions or even billions of dollars, I'd be like, you know what? I'll see you. I'll see you guys later. I'll be on my island. <laughs> but that's just not who that guy is. Yes, we know. Okay, yeah. cool. So let's talk a little bit about dating shows. At Lighthearted, you guys have have pumped out a handful now of really successful dating shows, and you've proven yourselves to be producers uh, in the relationship space. Um, and uh, when Jeff and I first started talking about doing this podcast, um, you know, we thought, and and it really proves apropos right now, uh, Love is Blind on Netflix, you know, is the number one show. And I think dating shows are right now big in the zeitgeist, um, regardless of the fact that we're all quarantined. I think. So um, I want to talk to you guys about, uh, we'll start things off, just what makes um, a great dating show you guys have done. Are you the one you've got ready to love on own? Um, you did dating naked and relationship. In your opinion, uh, start with Rob. What makes a great dating show? Honestly, Jeff and I have created a lot of interesting formats that have dating naked. I'll use that as an example. I mean, there's a lot of sizzle there. You know, there's a lot of like, holy crap, they're going to do what? People are going to be in the nude meeting each other for the first time on blind dates. That's that's just crazy. And you get a lot of press and a lot of attention for the sizzle. But I think the key to the success of dating shows is actually the stake, not the sizzle. I think that even if you watch Dating Naked, you'll be surprised at how much, you know, emotion is involved in that show and how much vulnerability that the nudity turned into vulnerability. And when you have vulnerability, people sort of put down uh, a lot of their pretenses and then actually got to know each other a little bit. And you'd be surprised how much real relationships developed. And I think no matter what show we're doing and no matter what the, the sizzle is to get people to come and check it out for the first time, the key is the stake that comes next. It's that, that quality of storytelling and that development of actual connections. That's what gets people to, to stick around. And that's what we were really trying to do. We don't want people to just watch episode one. We want them to watch all the way to the finale. And in, in terms of the, you guys have found a way to do a wide variety of formats with Are You the One? It's arcing. You know, you have the same characters that, you know, stick around. Dating Naked, you switched formats in the first season. You guys had, it was uh, standalone episodes, and then you switched uh, to the arcing. Ready for Love is uh, also a little bit different in terms of the way you do the format uh, coming in. How important for you guys is the format? In, in a relationship-based show versus finding these people who are willing to put themselves out and really uh, go all out in terms of being physical on camera, showing their authentic selves, being unfiltered? I think they go hand in hand. When we're developing a, a format, it always starts with kind of what's that hook? What's that jumping off point that is true to human nature? Um, and, and, you know, so to keep using the example of dating naked, it was like, you know, how, how can you make people super vulnerable? And in that moment, by being vulnerable, they actually find a way to connect. Um, the, the, the walls that we have built around ourselves through society, whether that is technology, uh, clothing, cars, status at jobs. Imagine if all of that went away and it was just you. And that's kind of like, that was that jumping off point that got us to, oh, well, gosh, what's the most vulnerable you could be? Naked. And so I think that's an important piece to then create from that nugget, 
Now create a format that services that. And so that is, I, I think we spend a lot of time developing shows and, and really making sure that formats are airtight. By doing that, by having kind of that structure and that you built and, and that's super airtight, that, that, that makes sense, that services that hook, you can now place those characters into that world and let them bounce off of the walls because now you, they can't help at that point be their true authentic selves. To, to, they can't help but kind of do, buy in to what the, the hook that you've laid out. And that is where I think we found the most success. You know, people always are like, do people, are people really falling in love on, on Are You The One? Are they, 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 they're literally infatuated with each other, episode one. And I, and, and the answer is yes, they are. And the reason is, is because they have buy-in. They believe in the matchmaking process. They are also stripped of all outside influence. Their only interactions that they're having are with each other and, and some, some key producers. And so imagine if you you had nothing to do. It's like they're in quarantine, but right. but but their quarantine means they can't even they can't have a phone call. They don't have internet. And by having them just live in that world with each other, it advances the ball quicker because they are now focused on the thing that we wanted them to be focused on, which is each other and themselves. Well, let's talk about Are You The One? Because it's become a, a big success for MTV um, and found an audience uh, with the show um, using kind of that f- formula to find the perfect, you know, finding the perfect match using uh, matchmaking and compatibility, but then also mixing in the idea that they're competing for a cash prize. What do you guys feel like is has been the key to the success of Are You The One? And Rob, you can start. I think that there's kind of a few answers to that question. And I think, look, I think everything that we've already been saying is a part of that show. I think there is a format and there is money on the line and all the things you said. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's really about, uh, you know, casting the type of people that can go into a format and really make it interesting. I, I mean... Jeff and I joke about this all the time. No matter what kind of clever format that we come up with, it really depends so much on putting the right people into that format that then test it and push it and then embody the experience. And the, you know, the thing about the first season of that show, the cast was outstanding. And when they came in there, they were really set up to sort of soul search and really try to figure out why they were there. And the, and the reason they were there is because they had so many problems trying to find love and that, you know, science and matchmaking and psychology had figured out this person that would be a great match for them. And it was just one of the people standing across from them. So that experiment, that social experiment of saying, you know, if the per- per- perfect person was standing right in front of you and they were, and, and could you pick them out? Could you find them? I think it's a very relatable idea because in a weird way, through our own dating processes on a, on, a, on a daily basis, we're trying to figure that out. We're going to the grocery store, the bar, the wedding or whatever it is. And we're looking at other people like, is my perfect match here? And if they were, would I even be able to pick it up? And I think that that relatability combined with a, a good cast really helped that show out. And the one other thing I will say about that show is it's, it's a little bit about z- zagging when everyone else is zigging. When that show came along, everybody was doing elimination, and especially in the dating world, you know, everything was a, a version of The Bachelor. We'd have one person narrowing down a group of people to one, 
And that show didn't have eliminations. And, and I think that was a very surprisingly, uh, uh, you know, well-received quality of that show. It's like there's 20 people at the first episode and there's 20 people in the last episode and all of them have a story and, and a goal that they're trying to get to together. And they either won as a group and split the million dollars or they lost as a group. And I think all of those things were different from most of the other reality shows that were airing that were either that were narrowing down and ultimately one person wins or one person gets chosen. So I think all of that together formulated, I think, the, the reason that show was was initially successful. And the most recent season, right, you guys got a lot of praise. It became the first uh, sexually fluid cast um, that anyone's ever ever done on a dating show, right? You were rated one of the top 100 shows of 2019. I'm sure that was a big decision to make to go with a, um, a sexually fluid cast. Um, what was behind the decision, Jeff? Not unlike our, our experience of just kind of coming up with uh, you know ideas for, for new shows, we really want to pull from what's the, exper- the dating experience out there. And, you know, Rob and I, first off, uh, started our careers in casting, we are involved intimately in the casting process for all of our shows, and we do the interviews for um, for all of our shows in our finals. And um, more often than not, especially in the Are You the One age range, um, a lot of people were talking about this fluidity, this this idea that you know I don't want to be labeled. I'm not necessarily homosexual. I'm not necessarily heterosexual. I'm just into people, and if I feel a connection with them. It, it can be sexual. And, you know, more often than not, we were finding that that was becoming a trend. It was that it was this this younger generation that they were no longer hindered or handcuffed by the generations before them. And that was an interesting place for us. And ultimately, this, you know, we always wanted Are You The One to be a reflection of what's going on out there. And so... Um, we started having conversations with MTV about, you know, this as a possibility and, and, you know, we'll give credit for, to them really for, uh, you know, taking a chance. Um, you know, obviously that, that can, um, that could potentially turn off people, but it could also turn on people. And, and I will tell you, Rob and I are just super proud of, of that season. Um, we told stories that have never been told on television. Um, we love that cast we support that cast and their voices and their experience needed to be told. And, and quite honestly, we didn't, once we cast that show, we didn't produce it any differently and, or than we would have, if it was a, a regular season of, of the show, this was about people finding love and bouncing off the walls and each other to do it. And, and so it wasn't about, you know, I think a lot of times when you kind of go down that path, you end up producing the show through a kind of a heteronormative lens. Yeah. And, and it's like, you make it a spectacle. And for us, it wasn't, we always kept ourselves in check and we had a tremendous uh, relationship with glad. Um, and, and our producers had all had buy-in into just tell the stories, follow the stories. Don't worry about who's with who and what their, their gender is or what's it, that didn't matter. And I think because we produced it that way and we ultimately delivered a show that way, I think that's why it found, you know, kind of some cultural relevance. And one of the things you guys have really done well is you are, you know, whereas 
Are You the One, you know, has a much younger cast. You know, they're in their in their twenties, ready to love on own, does have a, you know, a cast that's in their thirties and forties, um, and primarily African American. Can you guys tell me a little bit about Ready to Love, how that format differs from Are You the One and kind of the um, creative inspiration for that show? Well, you really can't talk about Ready to Love very much without uh, talking about Will Packer, who is our partner on that show. Uh, and uh, he uh, obviously is a bit of a super producer uh, uh, that is uh, really emerging in, in um, you know, obviously movies and we all know about Girls Trip and Straight Outta Compton and all that. but. You know, Will is very much, you know, and wanted to get into unscripted. And, you know, when you're Will Packer, you can uh, just get uh, talk to Oprah directly, which is an interesting uh, thing to be able to do. It's always and, nice, uh, right? Yeah. He had an overall deal with. Yes, exactly. And so he had an overall deal with uh, Oprah Winfrey Network that he had set up with Oprah. And he, he went ahead and told Oprah, like, I want to get into unscripted. I want to do some stuff. And the first thing I want to do is a dating show. And basically, you know, he he want he wanted to do something that that surrounded this idea of the problem that he had long heard of, almost like a legend of of Atlanta and the dating scene in Atlanta, and, and uh, how bad it was. And and also the other thing about that he wanted to, to focus in on was not, you know, twenty year olds. He was lo- looking at more the, the the legendary horrific dating scene for people in their thirties and forties, like a lot of people that may be divorced or older or they, they, you know, they have kids, they've experienced life and now they're looking for love again. Um, and anyway, so that went down and then, uh, basically we were brought in to sort of, as you were saying, bring a format to the table and produce the show. So we kind of were tasked with the idea, okay, there's this horrible dating problem in Atlanta for people in this age range. How can we address it? And that's what we wanted to do. And so, you know, at its most basic level, we said to ourselves, well, what if, if the problem is that all these people in this age range, you know, aren't willing to commit and, and kind of like constantly are trying to you know, find something slightly better than what they already have. What if we sorted through all those people and found a group of people that weren't that way, that, that at least they said it, that they were over it. They were over the scene and over the games and wanted to find commitment and wanted to settle down. And then we let them all date each other. Would love emerge? And that was sort of the social experiment. We, we put the show together and produced it. And the first season went amazingly well because I feel like it was such a, a, a different show that was addressing an audience that was very underserved, much like what Jeff was talking about, Are You The One? I think an older African-American audience they didn't have a lot of, of dating shows that, that were directed for them, you know, and it, it saw some great success. And now uh, we're we've we've shot a second season and now we just got greenlit for a third and fourth season of the show. Um, so obviously, I think this is a, a good format with good storytelling that obviously is addressing an audience that 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 was ready and willing and wanted to be uh, addressed. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and congratulations on the on the pickup for a third season. One of the things I noticed about Ready to Love is it does have more of a, I mean, it is a format, but it, feel, it feels at least like a loose format. Was that a conscious decision to kind of include more of a doc feel um, when you guys were developing the show? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think um, one of the things that, you know, we realized um, quite early on is that we needed to have... Um, you know, we needed it to feel like an authentic experience. 
And because um, Atlanta was, you know, such an important character, at least in the first couple seasons, um, we really wanted to make it feel like these people are living and breathing in their lives and they're still going through, through this, this process. And, you know, that, that was challenging and tricky because I think our default, especially in a format is you, you kind of, you create these ceremonies and you, and you, and you have a host driven moment uh, for an elimination or, or, uh, or, you know, and I think what we wanted to do is, is how do we make this feel natural and how do we get, have people go through the process of an elimination dating show, but do it like it is in real life. And so, um, again, by always, always kind of, if you have that kind of hook or that entry point, and then how do you service the format through that? And then, so that's how we came up with, you know, the ideas that, there's going to be a, 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 you know, a decision to be made. And then ultimately, instead of an elimination, there are breakups and breakups are tough, but they they tend to be one-on-one and there, and someone's got to sit there and say, Hey, this is why we're not feeling it. And, um, and I think by doing that again, I think it, that helped th- this particular audience because if it felt too structured and I, and felt over overly formatted, I think it would have felt, I, I don't know that we would have gotten the cred. You know, and I think that that's ultimately what it came down to is how do we make this feel like an authentic experience for these people? And and it, ultimately it is, I think, because the we built the format that way and we were that was our kind of our, our view on it. Ultimately, I think you we ended up having it feel like an authentic experience to them opposed to a, you know, quote unquote reality show. Yeah. And you can tell you can definitely tell. Um, all right. I have to ask about dating naked. Um, how quickly did that sell to VH1? Was it like, did you blow them away in the room or did it take some time? Uh, that was one of the most fun, uh, dating show and really even reality show pitches that I think Jeff and I have done together. Like people, every single pitch meeting we went on, people were smiling and couldn't believe it and were laughing at the whole thing and uh, where that really landed. And, and uh, Jeff and I talk about this all the time too. It's, it's timing is such a huge part of sales. Like it's just, are you arriving at the what, the network that wants something at the right time with the right thing? And I think Dating Naked was exactly that for VH1. Um, huge credit to Kristen Kelly, who heard the pitch for the first time and loved it. And then she she and she knew at the time that in, a, in like a week or two uh, from the point that we pitched it, uh, Susan Levison was was starting as her new boss, and she had had some initial meetings with Susan and knew what she was looking for to do and and what was she was being charged to do as as the new head of unscripted for VH1, and so she said, guys, I, I want you to come back and pitch it again, and this time I'm going to bring Susan and she's going to see this. Uh, all for the first time, right, 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 with you guys, and we said great. So we went in a couple of weeks later, did it all over again for Susan, and within, I think, I think we were the first thing that she purchased as the new head of VH1, and then it became this amazing ride uh, that that was just so much fun to be on. Because the other thing about that show that I love so much is that it's got comedy, and to combine love and comedy on that show was actually a really awesome combination and one that Jeff and I always talk about wanting to try again because there is something very absurd to being naked on a blind date and <laughs> we wanted to embrace that 
And, uh, and, and the show was, and also the other thing is like, not even just having a date, but like, what were they going to do on this yeah. date? And it was like, our, our sort of start for the creative of that moment was like, what is the last thing that you would want to <laughs> do on a date if you were naked? And I would, then would be like, well, horseback riding. Oh my God. That's like, what I, I was, I was just going to say that is when I saw them horseback <laughs> yeah. riding, all I could think about was how uncomfortable yeah. that looked. All I could yeah. think about. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was what the show was about was putting them in an uncomfortable place together yeah. and watching them try to help each other through it, have an extreme experience and then create a bond. And it actually worked. It was amazing. And, the, the type of bonds that got created. And, and you know, it was, and, and funny enough, and it's, and it was, this was actually a surprise, I think to us on the set was it became strangely almost asexual because people were so uncomfortable and they ha because they, they were so focused on their, their own insecurities that though there was, you know, obviously they're dating. So there, there was a little, there was almost innocent flirtation, much more so than when a lot of our clothes dating shows, you know, yeah. where there's this overt sexual kind of uh, drive. Everyone was so much more polite and, <laughs> and, and really like, like, looking deep into each other's eyes because you know if your eyes averted it was like all of a sudden you would be completely distracted so it was i always thought that was hilarious that this this show where it's like everyone's like oh my gosh that's like that's going to be so overly sexualized and this and that it, it really strangely wasn't and i don't know if people pick up on that but it, it people are always like having very deep conversations and looking at each other as they're sitting there you know naked on a horseback ride what about producing dating naked was that like, was that awkward just in terms of trying to speak to them in a way that was, like oh, you said, very serious? I, 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 it's so funny because I, I just, it was, it was so funny and weird to me. I, I remember, I remember being on that we shot the, uh, the pilot in Honduras on this beautiful island. And I just, as it was unfolding, I just couldn't believe how well it was unfolding, but also how weird the entire experience of shooting it was. If there ever was a show behind the show that would have been unbelievably funny, it would have been the show following us make that show. Because I literally kept saying as we were on, on the pilot, I remember specifically, I kept saying to everybody, including Kristen Kelly, who was there with us, I said, I feel right now like we've robbed a bank. And gotten away with it. Like, <laughs> this is so crazy and so ridiculous that we're doing this successfully right now. I feel like I got away with robbing a bank and I, I have that nervous, anxious feeling like, holy crap, how did we do this? Did we, do, what did we do? Oh my God. <laughs> All right. Now, I got to ask you guys after, you know, creating several really, uh, really great dating formats, how tough is it now to come up with the next one? For us, we want to always break ground. We don't really like doing the next iteration of something that's already been done. And so I think it's always about, you know, what is what is the story that we're trying to tell? What's that that new unique hook? Um, and and as long as we stay true to that stuff, I think we can always kind of, you know, there's always a new idea out there and a new audience um, that needs to be serviced in, in a way that they haven't been. Um, and look, I, you know, the good news is, is like I'm sitting here, you know, we look at our development slate now. We have, you know, we have four different relationship shows that are in development with networks. So it, it, it 
it can happen. I think it's just for us, it's always about um, making sure that uh, we just stay true to ourselves. Um, and then I have to ask about Love is Blind. You know, that's, you know, such a big success for Netflix. Has that affected, you know, uh, any sort of creative that you guys are doing? Simply because, as you both know, networks tend to be reactive once another platform or network has a success, they tend to react. So are you guys seeing any reaction um, from on your shows, whether they're in development or they're you know in production or post? I think what, what I've noticed in, in, in the kind of, I think the development stage of, uh, and ultimately the, the selling of new ideas and not just even in the dating space, because you know, obviously, you know, we, we do a lot of dating, but we also have, you know, a, a ton of other projects that are not relationship related. But what I think Love is Blind has brought um, is the ability for a format to evolve several times. Um, you know, if you think about The Bachelor, or are you the one for that matter? Um, you know, it's it's a rinse and repeat format. Of course, you have things that change over time, slight variations, but for the most part, it's the same. It's the same format from episode one to episode, you know, ten. And um, and I think what Love Is Blind has done is that that it's okay to break the rules a little bit of a format, so that it's like the first half of the season is this, and then it evolves into something else, and then it ends in something else. And that that's kind of new. Um, that, that doesn't happen often. And, and I think we're seeing that in our kind of creative conversations and also just in our own personal development um, that I think that, you know, we're trying to push ourselves to how can we evolve this in a very, you know, in a very I, I want, you know, natural way um, that makes sense, again, to the, the hook and the, and, the, and the reason it exists in the first place, but that, that you don't have to create this formulaic structure and it um, be locked into that for the duration of the series. All right. Well, I got to ask, in terms of uh, now that we're all sheltered in place, what are you guys watching um, to, to uh, take up some of your time? Well, first of all, I wish that, that I, I, the only thing I'm frustrated by, well, there's a few things I'm frustrated by with regards to the quarantine, but it, it's that we don't have stuff that's, that's premiering right now because it's yeah. such a golden time for a show to be dropping on the Netflix or, or anywhere really yeah. because there's such a captive audience right now. And so I just keep kicking myself that we don't have something premiering right now. Uh, but the thing that I've been recently watching that is no surprise, I'm sure to anyone is the tiger King. Uh, and uh, it's, it's just such an example of how this genre is the best place on earth to do a deep dive into crazy characters. I mean, that show is just a wellspring of characters. And it's not just him. It's like everyone around him and the other people. And basically what I've learned is we should be casting shows out of anyone that collects uh, exotic animals because <laughs> clearly it's a deep well. Yeah. But no, it's just, it's well executed. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, those those documentary deep dives, it's like shows you what you can do with time. You know, that, that's that's a, another struggle of ours that, you know, you have with these shows sometimes it's like limited time, limited budget. And you're trying to sort of produce something that has a lot in it. And, you know, people can fall into the trap of trying to force things to happen because they just, you know, we're only shooting for this amount of time. 
But when you do a deep dive like that and you stay with a group of people for a long period of time, the real stuff just starts to come out. And that show is just brilliant at that. Yeah, I, I, I would agree in that it's one of the one of those shows where each character gets more insane as you go along in the series. Like just when you think that you've met the most ridiculous character, the next one tops it. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty incredible story. So I've got to ask, do you think Carol fed her husband to the tigers? <laughs> I mean, Jeff, I'll let you answer this one. I, Jeff, I'm uh, sure speaks on behalf of both of us. Well, here, <laughs> um, I know nothing, so I'm just going to just, just want to make sure that I, uh, I, Alleged, I don't know. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, I, you know, I don't know that she fed uh, the her husband, her late husband, to the tigers. Um, I know that's probably a, a an interesting story, but I gotta say, my like Spidey sense went up about the strange disappearance of him and her relationship to it. So I don't know if it necessarily is how his end is exactly how we all think it happened, but I, I don't know. Something still I, feel I, a little fishy about her. Yeah. I'll, I'll take it a step further. She definitely killed her husband. I have no doubt in my mind. And the great thing is I was reading, allegedly, the, 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 <laughs> I was reading the news yesterday, and supposedly, because of Tiger King being such a phenomenon right now, a bunch of new evidence has been reported to the police in Florida, and now they're reopening the case about her uh, husband's uh, disappearance and potentially her involvement. So who knows where this is going to go? It's going to have a whole nother life that I'm sure that they're running to Florida with cameras to cover. As I was just going to say that's, yeah. that sounds like a, a second season to me. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm with you, Rob, on this one. Uh, I definitely think that, that she did it. I don't know how I'd like to think she fed him to the tigers, but yeah, as, yeah. as much as I like the idea that she is more of a conservator of tigers and less of an exploiter of tigers. I think that she is, there's something else going on there. And I think that's a very, uh, a very pleasant veneer that she has put on. I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't like it. <laughs> um, all right. So we'll just wrap it up with, in terms of coming out of, uh, coming out of COVID-19, what do you guys see as kind of the effect of all this on our industry? I think if there was ever a moment where people will say Netflix iced itself as a content source that is going to stick around again. I'm, I'm putting aside financial sure, concerns, sure. But like net, net, Netflix as a a place to go for content is 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 now not they weren't already there, but now I feel like they're sealed. I mean, it's this is just. I mean, and and and, and Tiger King is such a great example of that. I mean, the amount of discussion and social media and everything that's going on. It's like. It's, it's just, it's what an, what a time to binge. Like if there ever was a need for binging, it's now we all have so much time on our hands and nothing to do for them to have piles and piles of things that you can just tear through. I think that their, their, their space in the world is now cemented. Agreed. All right, guys. Well, thank you for, uh, thank you for, for taking the time and chatting with me. And um, please stay safe out there. Thanks, Steve. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us on another edition of No Script, No Problem. Please subscribe and rate the show. It's available again on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, 
and tune in. You can also find it at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. Please remember to rate it with five stars. And you can write a question if you have one so I can answer it on the show. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Thanks to Mike DeLay and Real Voice LA. For use of the studio and the remote connection, thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.